near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Near-Death Experience Podcast, item number 391, June 5th, 2022, a.k.a. Patreon Edition, item number 002, first broadcast on 1-1-2019, an anonymous NDE. Welcome back to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official podcast and source of audio counts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm your host, John Messer. Today, Chaz reads a couple of very interesting NDEs from deep in the IANDS archives. Both are people who have ridiculously high fevers and see things on the other side beyond their ability to fully describe. Because it is from the IANDS archives, there is no link to the actual report. As a reminder, you can still get a free e-copy of Chaz's book, Life in the Spirit World, what near-death experiences may teach about life on the other side by supporting the podcast via Patreon. You can either give a one-time donation or become an ongoing supporter. Either way, your support is very much appreciated and greatly helps keep the show financially viable. Thank you. So as Chaz continues his sabbatical, let's listen to the original Patreon item number 002, an anonymous NDE. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast Patreon Edition, episode number two. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. In case you didn't hear the first episode, it is available on the Patreon page. And on that uh, Patreon page also, you can download a free copy of the ebook Life in the Spirit World. Today we are going to share an anonymous experience on that is from ions.org, the International Association of Near-Death Studies website, and this was submitted in uh, February of 2002. Uh, if you haven't been to the IONS website, there are tons of experiences, not quite as many as enderf.org, but there are tons of experiences to be read. and. Uh, uh, enough that, you know, it's like multiple books worth of, of experiences. I mean, it's seriously enough to keep you going for life. But uh, I try to share the ones that seem most applicable um, so that we can skip through some of the ones that are just, you know, I uh, had, a, had a cool dream and it was not really anything heavenly, but it was just a cool, you know, I mean, the, the things that don't seem to apply to this show particularly particularly and there are dreams that are definitely near-death experience material which we do share so anyway you get 
you get to to hear some of the uh, um, some of the cool ones. Anyway, um, so this is the anonymous experience. I'd been sick with flu-like symptoms for a day or so, and I was lying in bed with my husband, who was sleeping. I'd fallen asleep, woke up, and felt feverish. I used the digital thermometer next to the bed to take my temperature. It was 102. The fever made me feel very weak, but a relaxed kind of weak, almost pleasurable. Then I took some more Tylenol and tried to go back to sleep. Whether I had fallen asleep or not, I'm still not sure. But I must have noticed suddenly, instead of gradually, what seemed to be the fever getting higher. I felt even more weak and relaxed. But I felt extremely heavy. Even my fingers felt like they weighed a hundred pounds. I really liked feeling that relaxed. I felt more of a void of everything, emotionally and physically. I remember thinking it was nice to have no worries, no pain, fear, etc. But I also noticed no joy, pleasure, or any of the good counterparts. I was very surprised to learn that I liked it, the void. Then my husband came to mind and I felt an urgency not to enjoy this void too much that I needed to be with him and not leave him. Then I became frightened and tried to call out to him, but I thought he couldn't hear me. In my mind, I was screaming a little louder and louder each time. When I thought I screamed the loudest out of panic, I finally heard me whispering to him and realized I hadn't been heard at all. Then I guess I gave up trying to make him hear me. The next thing I remember is being in a void. I couldn't tell whether I was in light or darkness. I just remember nothing being around me, except he was about six feet in front of me, standing there. He was silent for a while, as if he was giving me time to revel and let everything sink in. When I looked at him, he seemed to be about the size of a regular man, being he was only about six feet away. Height and everything seemed normal, but in another sense, he seemed huge. Not in size, but in glory. Glory was the first thing that came to my mind because of the fact that even though he seemed my size, I kept wanting to look away, straight up and at him instead of straight ahead. But I don't remember actually seeing anything larger than a man. Then I wondered why I didn't feel his everlasting love like everyone else does when they see him. Then the answer came to me as soon as I thought the question. That's not what I was there for. With no other explanation. Even though I understood the answer, I still felt disappointed and that I didn't feel his love, understanding, and mercy. I felt disappointed, on top of cheated and undeserving to feel these things from him, but not angry, just very confused. I received no explanation as to why I hadn't felt these things, just the one answer. Then he told me that he was going to show me something, as in to prepare me so that I wouldn't have to, or so that I wouldn't have a heart attack or something. I immediately felt paralyzed, but not frightened, and he showed me several 
thousands of visions at once. The only way I figured out to describe this experience is it's like taking a handful of BBs and dropping them onto the floor. The visions came to me as fast as the BBs would hit at the same time on the floor. I don't remember any of them except the first. He was standing beside me on a mountaintop, and we were looking down on a valley. Several hundred people were scattered around, as if they were preparing for some big event that was about to happen soon. On the other side of the valley was another mountain, with trees greener than, than I'd ever seen with my own eyes. The same applies to the color of the trees and the valleys. The grass was not a color I've ever seen here on earth. The first thing I noticed was my vision, the ability of my physical vision. From the mountaintop I could see, or from the mountaintop I was standing on, the valley seemed to be many miles away, at least ten or so, maybe more. But I could see clearly every detail of both sides of the valley as I could the other. If one of the people were to have had a note in their hand, or two people had a note, for instance, I would have been able to read them on both sides of the valley at one time. I don't remember seeing anything specifically, but I do remember how well I was able to see. I have a faint memory of an object in the middle of the valley, and of the people going to and from this object, like they were preparing it, or something with it, or something. The object seemed to be about the size of a standard-sized car with a similar shape. I later learned the measurements of the Ark of the Covenant are of similar shape and size, yet, yet the fact does not jog my memory any. I also faintly remember the people wearing a different style of clothing than we do today. Though I don't remember what the difference is, I do recall they didn't seem to be manufactured. Sandals and robes and the like seem familiar, but I don't specifically recall any of those things. They just seem to be from the biblical times or something. That was the last vision I remember before waking up. I was still in the bed next to my husband. My fever felt much higher than before again. I had to use the restroom, but I felt too weak. I had tried to get up, but couldn't move. I looked at the alarm clock and acknowledged the time. I don't remember now what time it was, but I had fallen asleep. And when I awoke again, it was less than five minutes later. This time my fever felt lower. I, wa I haven't... I hasn't, I wasn't as weak, I guess she's trying to say, I wasn't as weak, and I still had to urinate with severe urgency. I sat up in the bed and took my temperature again. It was 104.3, even though I could tell it had lowered by my regained strength and my ability to think clearly, along with my ability to feel pain. I thought the thermometer was wrong, so I took my temperature again. And it read the same, 104.3. I turned the thermometer off, smoked a cigarette, then went to the bathroom. Then I got myself back into the bed and took my temperature again. It was 102. I had only been 
gone to the bathroom less than a minute and had smoked most of my cigarette on the way to and in the bathroom. Trying to judge from how quickly my temperature had gone down, I'm not sure if my experience was only fever-induced or if I had actually died momentarily, but I do know that it was a near-death experience. I was over the flu, or whatever it was, the next morning. Okay, that's the end of the experience. Very interesting. And I will say right off that, um, in my opinion, whether it was fever-induced or that she actually died is really quite irrelevant um, because the experience seems to be very real. And it's interesting to me, when she first talks about being in a sort of a void, very relaxed and comfortable, and uh, and um, feeling happy there, I mean, not, not blissful necessarily, but comfortable, and, uh, you know, just, she just loved being there. Um, then she realizes that her husband still needed her, and so she goes back, or she, you know, feels the sense of urgency to go back, and yet as she tried, she couldn't, and the harder she tried, the the uh, more the uh, uh, comatose-like state seemed to persist, and as she's screaming in her mind and trying so hard to scream out to him, all that she gets is a very soft whisper out of her mouth, and, uh, and then she says, the next thing I remember is being in a void. Now, I'm confused about this a little bit because she talks about being in a void already. And then all of a sudden she's going to a void. I'm almost to the, uh, under the impression that the first void was just a voidness of sensations. And the second is like a feeling of being in a different place being absolutely separated from where she was. And um, she's, you know, if she thought she was feeling nothing before other than relaxed, she's really feeling nothing now. And for a bit, she's still probably a little bit nervous, scared, whatever, that she's not going to be able to return to her husband. But then she starts describing him. And when I first read this, I thought she meant that she saw her husband there. But it becomes clear as as it goes along that it is a different individual. And the he says, except he was about six feet in front of me. First mention of he, but the he is capitalized, which is telling me that this is a separate individual, somebody who is very important. I mean, to the point of, you know, deserving a capital H, which is to say that she's probably thinking of it as being God or Christ or some such figure because um, every time she mentions him, she capitalizes the pronoun he or him and also describes him as being full of glory. And she says, though he was the same size as me, he seemed huge. Not in size, she says, but in glory. And then she describes wanting to look way up to look at him, and yet he's straight in front of her. And there's nothing larger than a man, and yet there's something about him that just says, this is huge, which is so cool. And then uh, and then she starts wondering, and this is an interesting point. This is where 
there's, there's got to be a term for this, um, this idea of being in a frame of mind of almost like she'd known some things and, and been familiar with some just common ideas that on earth she was not any longer familiar or common to. And so, you know, she says, I don't remember seeing anything larger than the man. And then I wondered why didn't his feeling of everlasting, why didn't I feel his everlasting love like everyone else does when they see him? Now, I could be wrong. Maybe she's read near-death experiences and is familiar with this whole thing and knows that in the presence of God or a holy being like this, she should be sensing love. And it could be that that's what she's talking about. But you would think if that were the case, she would say so. That she would say, I remember thinking that in you know such experiences, people are supposed to have this feeling of love or a senseless feeling of love, but she doesn't say it that way. She says, I wondered why I didn't feel his everlasting love like everyone else does when they see him. That seems to tell me that she is of a frame of mind where she just knows when people are in this guy's presence, they feel his everlasting love. And she's like, why am I not feeling it? So there's there's a frame of mind that is different than her earthly frame of mind. She is aware of things that she uh, wouldn't be aware of in the earthly form, and yet she's not even seeming to notice the fact that she's aware of these other things that she's not normally aware of. Very interesting. But her, you know, to her question of of why don't I feel his everlasting love like everybody else does. The answer comes, that's not what you're here for. And that's interesting because it makes you wonder, what is she here for? And then, um, she, after you know, feeling the disappointment of not being able to feel that love and mercy and so forth, she is told that she is going to be shown something and to get ready. She says, you know, I'm going to show you something, so get ready because she didn't. You know, so she wouldn't have a heart attack or just freak out. Whoa, what have you? You know, um, she's being she's prepared mentally or told to prepare mentally because I'm going to show you something. And then instantly, she's paralyzed. But all these visions, several thousand, she says, come at once. And she describes it as BBs. Imagine taking a bucket of BBs and just instantly flipping it over. You know. Thousands of BBs hitting the floor within milliseconds, you know, all, all of them really basically hitting at the same time. And, uh, and that seems to be how these visions are coming, each one being an individual BB. And what's interesting is she's told that she would be shown these things for a very important purpose, and yet she only remembers the first vision. The first being one, which we'll talk about in a moment, but she's only able to remember one of them. What is the point of showing thousands of visions if all but one will be forgotten? And even that vision seems to be only a little bit of the vision that she had because she doesn't doesn't remember what the people 
in her vision were exactly doing. She doesn't remember what they were saying or what exactly they were waiting for. She just remembers kind of the imagery of it. And uh, and possibly not all of the measure, uh, I mean, of the uh, imagery. And uh, it kind of leaves me to wonder, is there something about our spirits that perhaps we get instruction, that we're, we're given information at times and then sent back to the body to um, continue our lives? What, what does that mean to be given information that you will forget? Why would that be? Is this like little pellets of, of visions or truths that will be insights that will come back throughout your life? Maybe not as memories of a vision, but the insights from them. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what to make of that. You hear a lot of people, you know, being told, you know, you're being shown this because it's part of your life purpose to go and talk about this with people. But then they come back and they don't remember what any of it is. And it's like, how can we be expected to live our life purpose to share certain things if we don't remember those things? And that seems to be something of what's going on here. And to that, I, I don't know the answer of, of why that would why things would be done that way. And yet, clearly, they are done that way for her. Very interesting. She uh, and in this one vision that she, the first vision that she has that, there's the one that she remembers. She says, "I have a faint memory of an object in the middle of a valley." Okay, she's standing on a mountain between two valleys and and valley down one side and then valley down the other side and she can see down both sides simultaneously in perfect detail and she says there are hundreds of people in these uh let me just look again yeah several hundred people were scattered around as as if they were preparing for some big event that was about to happen soon and on the other valley was another mountain with trees greener than I've ever seen with my own eyes. And the same applies to the color of the trees and the grass valleys, that uh, they were a color that she'd never seen before. But she says, my vision was so clear that while these people were down in the valley were 10 plus miles away, if two of them were holding notes, one on on the one valley, and one in the opposite valley on the other side, she would have been able to read those notes. And not just read them, but read them both simultaneously. What? And yet, there it is. She could take in that level of information. And when she describes an object in the middle of the valley that people were going to and from, and they seemed to be preparing it, or preparing something for it or something and she though she doesn't isn't given any specifics about what this object is she seems to have a suspicion that what she saw was the ark of the covenant um, because she the description that she gives is i later learned the measurements of the ark of the covenant that they are of similar shape and size yet that fact does not jog my memory and so she doesn't seem to remember what this is, but she has this faint idea. Maybe it's the Ark of the Covenant, but she doesn't know. And, uh, and then she seems to take interest in their clothes, which she describes as biblical or feeling like they're biblical, though 
they don't seem to, you know, it's like they're as familiar as sandals and robes might be to us, uh, referring to biblical times, but it's not necessarily that there was sandals and robes. She's not very, she's having a hard time remembering beyond that. So even the vision that she's given, which seems to have significance, she's not able to remember it fully. And when she returns, you know, she wakes up, to, she's got a fever of at least 104.3, and she's under the impression that that was the temperature after coming down some, so she doesn't know how high it was, but, uh, you know, and she's just, I don't know, it's interesting how much seems to be crammed into this experience. So, I've got a little bit more time, so I'm going to share one more. This one's rather short, but... Uh, but we'll go ahead and, and dive into one short one before we end here. This is also an anonymous one on the IONS website. And the message says, I was in the intensive care unit with an acute case of blood poisoning. I had a large boil on my leg, lanced to let the poison out, and instead let all the staphylococcus bacteria enter my bloodstream. I was delirious with a fever of 107 degrees Fahrenheit. I heard the nurse say, No blood pressure! I went unconscious. Suddenly I found myself in a boat, floating down a river in a jungle. In the background, I could hear the most magnificent music I had ever heard. It was a jungle drum beat of incredible dimensions. I became very elated with its incessant melodic-sounding rhythm. There were two paddlers steering the canoe and eight passengers. I was brimming over with delight. There was no feeling of pain or movement through the water. Then I came upon the distant shore. I was alone now. I do not remember stepping onto the shore. A radiant being in long white robes was there to greet me. I could not discern the sex of the being or the face of the being, However, the most incredible feeling of love surrounded me. It emanated from the being. We were communicating through mental telepathy. I have never experienced such joy. All of a sudden, I was back in the bed with incredible pain. Since that event, which I hold to be absolutely true, I have had many revelations and visions. I also have ESP. My life is brimming with special meaning, and I now have epilepsy, ASA, result of that infection. That's the end of the experience. And, and how interesting it is. Here's another fever uh, experience, fever near-death experience. I'm starting to wonder if fever ought to be added to our list of most common uh, causes of near-death experiences, you know, being... Um, drowning and, well, so the stopping of the breath and the stopping of the heart being the first two uh, in my experience or my studies. And uh, anyway, she finds herself, or he, now now I've got a a glance over it. It doesn't seem to specify whether it it is a woman or a man, but uh, this person uh, finds themselves floating down a river and in a canoe uh, because they there are two paddlers steering the canoe and there are eight passengers. That's interesting to me because a lot of times the experiences are 
you know, coming into this light and there's loved ones there to greet them and they're like, oh, it's so good to see you and all this stuff. This seems to be like a ride that is already in progress. So what's that about? Is it, the, I mean, what is the other, what are the other canoers experiencing? Are they riding along eight people and then suddenly whoop, they, this new arrival appears or is this something where you know is the earth life as there i mean this is totally going out there i have no idea what's going on i it, it's not even fair for me to say these kinds of things but but i i i love to throw ideas out there nothing of i, I wouldn't even say i speculate this but i'm i'm just trying to make some sense of this you know and i mean is it like perhaps as they're leaving to go to earth perhaps they they uh, venture out on this canoe as a as a, a sort of uh, metaphoric reality. Is that the word I came up with before? The uh, metaphor, uh, real, anyway, metaphoric reality canoe, um, where it's it's symbolic of of traveling into life, and yet it's a real canoe in in the spirit world, and so they're on this canoe going into life, and then. In the instant between birth and this near-death experience, they, you know, the entire life takes place. Because remember, time is irrelevant. It's not a factor. Could it be that, you know, you enter this canoe as a, and they're traveling, and then go to Earth, boom, and then back in the canoe again, boom, and flowing along out of life again, or, or what? I don't know. I don't know. That's just a, a thought. But that would explain why it would seem as if, you know, this is normal. We're just traveling in this canoe and nobody seems to notice this new arrival up here on the ship. Or I mean, on the boat, because, uh, the you know, they were there already. And uh, some would suggest the idea of spirits, that some part of our spirit remains in the spirit world and that our consciousness goes to earth and yet something is still going on on the other side. I'm not sure I understand what how that would even work. And yet, from these experiences, we find that attention is not a problem. You can pay attention to more than one thing at the same time, including seemingly being in more than one location, uh, talking to two different groups of people at the same time. I mean, what is that? What is that? I don't know. Don't know how that works, but but it does lend to the possibility of other explanations for what's going on here. Or maybe it was just a, you know, oh, you know, if this person's dying, they're going to have a brief visit to the spirit world. Let's just have her in this in this wonderful, beautiful setting. Make sure she arrives in this canoe to be rowing down this jungle with this beautiful cultural drumbeat of incredible dimensions that uh, will just, you know, maintain this elated uh, sensation in her uh, with its incessant melodic sounding rhythm, as she describes it. I don't know. I don't know. Very interesting, though. And she does say that she was communicating with the other people through telepathy. Now, she doesn't talk about any specific communication that she has, like what what was talked about or what was communicated back and forth, just that they were communicating through mental telepathy. 
That's interesting. I, it's it's one of those things where maybe this is just a level one on the detail scale, or maybe level two or so, and and that there's just a lot more detail that goes in that's more than what they have the time or ability, or you know, capacity to describe. You know, maybe it's this whole ineffability thing that keeps coming up in these experiences, but. Uh, very interesting, very interesting experience. So, if any of you would like to contact the podcast to share your own experiences or to uh, ask a question or make a comment, you can do that by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com. You can also call 970-NDE-CAST. It will give you three minutes to share a message. If, you, if your message needs to be longer than that, just call right back and keep calling right back until you get it all, all um, said, and then I can easily piece it together for putting on the podcast. And with that, thank you all for listening, and thanks to all of you so much for your patronage and support.